Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everyone, to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined, as usual, by my colleague Curtis Wister, the Portland Red Claws to my Portland Sea Dogs. How are you doing today, Curtis? I'm doing well, Ben. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. We are talking um, a kind of a nice little wrap-up summary conversation today. I'm really excited about it. The, t- the, the topic of today's show is titled Living a Tapas Life After Retirement. And, you know, I, I think with we talk a lot about retirement in this show, obviously, <laughs> and there's actually a few ways you can measure it, right? As uh, we, we hear it in stages, uh, sometimes you hear it uh, maybe in days. It's 7,300 days, the average retirement, which could equate to 175,200 hours. Or if you want to get to the minute mark, you can go 10,512,000 minutes. And that's the amount of time you can expect to have in retirement, which is the average length is around 20 years. And that's according to the Center of Re- uh, Retirement Research at Boston College. And I know we quote them a lot. Yeah. But the question here is, right, so we we get to this point in retirement, but how are you going to spend all of that newfound free time? Because when you start measuring in 10,512,000 minutes, that sounds like a lot of free time. (laughs) So without a sense of purpose, really the risk of dissatisfaction increases, right? And what should be meaningful time can become an anxious or uninspiring one to some of us. And, and actually, a UK survey looked at the average retiree in Britain, and they found that they grew bored after just one year. Hmm. So, and if you look at one third of retirees eventually give up on retirement and return to the workforce, according to a 2016 Federal Reserve study, right? So there's this also we get disenfranchised, disenchanted with retirement. We just say, well, what do I like to do? Where's my purpose? Go back to work. Sure. So this notion of retirement as a time of leisure might might be outdated. So most adults, uh, really older adults, want a similar level of engagement and meaning as in their work years. And this is that really as it should be. So from traveling the world to helping people in need, there are a variety of activities that can give you meaning and joy in retirement. But sometimes we get stuck by being overwhelmed with what we can do that we don't know what to do. Mm. And I think that is a big problem. And I know that we've, we've kind of talked about that in this show, a lot of different ways. So our next guest has had this struggle and work to build a great life after a several decade long career. And he's written a book about that for the 55 to 70 ish age group that is at or near completion of their long career. Mm. He's titled the book Tapas Life, a rich and rewarding life after your long career. And it's a step by step guide to assembling a great life once your big J O B <laughs> is G O N E. <laughs> So at this point, I'd like to welcome Andy Robin to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Andy, welcome to the show. Why, thank you, Ben. Thank you, Curtis. We are excited to have you. Um, 
I, I say just we, we've had the privilege of reading your book as well. So as practitioners helping people in retirement, uh, it's really exciting and fascinating to kind of hear the retirees perspective too and and be able to marry that in our conversation today. Mm. But uh, one of the things that we always start our podcast with is to get a little bit of background on you. So I'd love to give uh, get a little bit of a flavor of where you're from in your childhood experience. Would you mind just kind of sharing that with us uh, right now, Andy? Happy to. So I was born in Chicago, as you may detect from how I sound. <laughs> and uh, my dad was an entrepreneur who God, when I got to be his age, when he did it, I was blown away. He decided to move the family to Mexico City when I was seven years old. That's amazing. And, uh, none of us spoke a word of Spanish, and uh, he had an opportunity and jumped to pursue it. Wow. Uh, so I grew up down there until I uh, came back to the U.S. to college. Uh, went to Berkeley for a year studying uh, math, science, engineering, and thought the teaching was terrible, so I quit. <laughs> okay. Fun place socially, pretty place, <laughs> Expensive terrible place. instruction. Everybody told me, oh, it gets better when you're a senior. I was like, well, what a stupid way to run a college. And, uh, <laughs> eventually uh, went back to Mexico, worked for about five years. And then I finished my degree in Texas, got an MBA at a well-known Eastern business school. And uh, then spent a few decades in the tech industry, mostly semiconductors. Hmm. So, so tell me about that. So, obviously, that's that's first of all living internationally or living abroad, and probably from your perspective, when you're moving at four years old, it just becomes a a, a natural thing for you. But talk about your experience at in your professional life in semiconductors. What did you do? What was kind of in? What did you find was a passion of yours in your career? Uh, well, I was mostly doing marketing work, which is business-to-business -business marketing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Selling components to people, building electronic systems. And I did spend a couple of years in general management of about a $125 million business, uh, but I found I couldn't sleep at night. Hmm. As a marketing VP, I could sleep fine, but as a GM, you know, faced with laying off people during downturns, I hated that and mm. couldn't sleep, so... I went back to marketing. My passion, I guess, really, I optimized my career for family and not for work passion. Uh, mostly what I was looking for from my career was something that kept me interested and something that made a buck and something that wasn't harming the world. Mm -hmm. So I worked on communication, semiconductors, networking stuff when that was new. It was uh, the group I was in that caused networking to be built into all computers which I thought was a good and useful thing to do, yeah. uh, except when you read about some of the horrors of the internet. <laughs> yeah, <wow. laughs> well, and, uh, it's a tool like anything, right? Yeah. And I worked on some other general purpose chips that are used in everything electronic you can name. So if you like your electronics, I got to work with that stuff. And uh, I optimized for family. I was always home for dinner. I didn't travel a lot, which is unusual for a marketing exec. Hmm. I delegated that to my uh, people working for me. And I didn't work on weekends and I didn't take work home. And hmm. uh, so I sub-optimized my career, had a lot of opportunities I passed up because I thought family was actually important. That's great. And Andy, I, I know one thing, just kind of reading your book here, I, I thought it was a really interesting piece, which kind of leads into this, the, the premise of Tapas Life. 
Can you talk a little bit about that balance of family and career? But also, I know you, you kind of said you stepped away from your career for a bit, right? And, and assisted with taking care of kids, right? So can you talk a little bit about that experience and kind of that priority for you? I did not just step away. I jumped out. <laughs> uh, so before we got married, my wife and I talked about what we wanted and both agreed we wanted our careers that were doing well. We both wanted to be at-home caregivers. So there aren't uh, tons of guys who want to do that, but mm -hmm. I'm one of them. Mm -hmm. I like little kids and find them interesting or medium kids. And I find family good and important. Uh, so we did that. We're going to do it when they were around seven and nine, but she had been in sales and marketing and discovered a new career in interpersonal work, went back, got a master's and PhD while the kids were growing up. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, I had some options I was waiting to vest uh, during the last year I was working. And then we swapped when the kids were 13 and 15. Hmm. So one Friday afternoon, I had lunch with the execs who wished me well. Interestingly, most of them thought that I must have had some form of cancer. <laughs> and uh, most, of our, most of my wife's friends thought that I must have had a nervous breakdown finally. Nobody could believe this is what we were actually really doing because we really choose to do it and really had planned to do it. And uh, on Saturday morning, my wife left on a three-week business trip to Australia. Wow. Mm. So I was uh, suddenly cast into the care and feeding <laughs> of 13 and 15-year-olds, which was an adventure. <laughs> Well, because uh, I, I, I think that that says a lot here, Andy, because I, I really think, you know, kind of looking at this from a balancing perspective of like that, you know, this traditional um, that, that mindset that maybe is the last couple generations of, hey, we're supposed to get a career, we're supposed to just binge on that career, push forward, regardless of whatever the, the roadblocks in our way, get to that retirement age be fatigued at the very end we've given her all and you get a pat on the back and you just you know you, you just take a break so it sounds like what i what i like about what you did there is hey looking kind of introspectively at your life and saying here's what's important to me and I, and again having that conversation with with your spouse and saying hey let's let's talk about this together and what, what do we want to see and what's important to us with our kids and how do we how do we involve in their life so i, I really love that i wanted to make sure that was a part of this cuz i think that's a really great kind of foundational piece here as we get into the show a little bit more thank you and and it you know fits with what I told our teens always growing up, and that's that there are a lot of lives to be lived on this planet. You can just look around at what people have done and are doing, read about it, see interviews, hear people on podcasts. There's a lot of lives to live, mm. and you're at choice. You could pick one. Yeah. You just have to take the time to ideate and then choose to go get it. And I think in that that whole premise, I know, and we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But I we'll we'll dig in that lots of different ways. I do want to ask one more foundational question because I think it's important. Do you have any connections to the state of Maine? I do not. I I have really only been in the state of Maine once. Okay. Okay. I was out in Bethel. No. Mm. Oh. NTL National Training Labs, where I took a, a two two week interpersonal course one year over Fourth of July weekend on either side of Fourth of July weekend. Hmm. I did some uh, canoeing up on some lakes near there. Mm -hmm. yeah. I went to some rivers near there. I remember driving through the small towns and 
it stuck with me that each small town had its stone monument mm -hmm. uh, listing the names of the war dead mm -hmm. from the past. Yeah. I was like, well, we don't see that much in the big cities. But, uh, <laughs> of course, in the smaller towns, I mean, those losses were acutely felt by everyone. So yeah. I found it was a pretty cool area. Well, uh, Bethel, Western Maine really has some, again, when you kind of think traditional Maine, that has some really great pieces, especially, as you said, kind of 4th of July weekend, lots of summertime activities. If you're big into fly fishing, really great for in Bethel area, but all, of course you got skiing, which is, uh, you're, mm -hmm. you're in the mountain area there. So yep. you, you probably miss some really good skiing by about four or five months, <laughs> but I want to, I want to rotate <laughs> the show Andy about living a toughest life in your book, Toughest Life, A Rich and Rewarding Life After Your Long Career. And for those listening today, we'll have a link to Andy's book. So yeah. you'll, you can go to our show notes and you can get that link to Amazon. And But we're going we're gonna to dig into this book. Um, and what I want to start with is when you say toughest life, because I know I've mentioned this a couple of times, especially in the title. Can you talk about what you mean by that? And how is this book different than other books about retirement? Okay, I'll take those one at a time. Tapas, you, your, your listeners may or may not be familiar, are, uh, it's a form of food from Spain. And tapas actually means covers. And the notion is, is instead of like here in the U.S. where we order a, a large porterhouse steak and some potatoes <clears throat> and maybe a veg, mm -hmm. then instead of that, you order small dishes and they come on a little dish about the size of a coffee saucer. And you start out with your friends or spouse or whoever, uh, you order a few mm -hmm. and you try them and the ones you like, you may order another order. <clears throat> and the ones you don't like, you may set aside on the far side of the table. <laughs> and if you're still hungry, you may order a few more plates until eventually the plates cover a lot of the table. And that's why they're called tapas. But the idea is that you can sample and savor a variety of diversity of different things instead of having a main dish. Mm. And Tapas Life is about doing that with your remaining 25 or 35 years, mm. right? It's You've been very focused for all these decades, you know, first in school because your parents made you. And then maybe in college, because you chose to, so you'd have more opportunity in life. And then in your career, because you maybe needed to pay bills and the boss told you what to do. Mm. And so your whole life, you've been kind of on a path doing what you had to do. Mm. Certainly, you had choices within those areas, but probably broadly on that path. And now you're at a stage of life where instead you can say, wow, look at all there is available in the world. Mm, yeah. And you can actually pick some little plates and you can assemble a meal out of a variety of things, both doing and being how you show up as a human, hmm. which you may not have given much attention to until now, but you have an opportunity to make yourself a fuller, better human at this age because you're not so damn preoccupied. <laughs> so that was that was one question. And the other and question was... Yeah. How is the book different than other books? Oh, how's retirement? it different? Yes, please. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. So there are a gajillion books about retirement that are all about finance. Mm. Yeah. How to not run out of your money. 
and that's good, but it's, it's such an incomplete topic. Uh, honestly, I, I'm a pretty good finance guy. And honestly, I cover what you need to know about finance in a little tiny sub chapter. Mm-hmm. You know, make a mm-hmm. spreadsheet, figure out what's coming in and what's going out and make sure that those work together properly. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more to it than that. And so what I've gone through is a step-by-step way to assemble a life that works is rich and rewarding, and that helps you continue growing as a fulfilled person with meaning in your life. Mm. And and I want to just kind of comment there, Andy, is, you know, I think that I think what you're saying, especially as financial advisors in, I think some financial advisors might take offense to what you just said is, well, it is more complex. It isn't right. Is like what you just said. I know, I know you go through the chapter and you talk about, here's a few tips in terms of investing or, or kind of balancing your budget to what you have saved and really living within your means, right? These are things that everybody knows, right? This isn't, this isn't secret sauce here. You know, we all know it's ketchup and mayonnaise. We we know that. Yeah. But you know the 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 point that you're bringing up is it what is really difficult is to say this is where what I want to be doing with my life. This is who I am. This is what's important to me and how do I match my money to it? And I think you are kind of hitting on a really key point in terms of this book where because if people aren't giving us that feedback of who I want to be, what I want to do with my time, how much is that going to cost me? It's really difficult for any financial planner to really give them the path mm-hmm. if every path is possible. And I, I think that's really difficult for the profession that Curtis and I are in here. And I, I, I just want to say, I think this is why it's. A, it, I'm really excited for you to be on the show today because I think from a foundational perspective, it's really important what you're doing here. So I, I want to just kind of comment there. Thank you. And I mean, I don't want to take anything away from financial advisors. I certainly have one. I'm no genius in investing. <laughs> I do find it easy to make a spreadsheet with expenses and income. There you go. But, you know, I need a lot of other guidance. And so you guys are certainly valuable in many ways. <laughs> well, thanks for that. Um, so I want to kind of dive back in on on the idea of, of living a topless life. And, you know, I, I don't know that I want to call it a concern, but I could see where this could lead someone down a road of it could almost get kind of haphazard here because I just want to try so much stuff or, you know, there's so many things to try that it could become overwhelming and then maybe you don't do any of them or you get stuck. So I think kind of the question I want to ask here, Andy, is how can someone insert, you know, enough structure that allows for this mentality without, you know, having too much structure on their time? I know that's kind of a, a loaded question maybe, but can you, can you kind of give some insight there? Well, actually, it's a pretty good thing. It's pretty flexible that way. Mm. Uh, so first of all, you do need some structure. Okay. After you complete or conclude your long career, it's uh, it feels very liberating. And you may take six months or a year or a year and a half or whatever to decompress and maybe travel, maybe play a lot of golf or tennis or bridge or whatever you like to do. Mm. You may visit relatives you haven't seen in forever or whatever. You may do lots of that. And then at some point, you'll wake up one morning in bed and you'll be like, uh, well, there's really nothing trying to get me out of bed today. (laughs) And that can be a feeling of being untethered or uh, adrift or, and it can get pretty rapidly depressing. Yeah. And I've unfortunately seen good friends drop into that box 
and it's not a good box to be in. It's dark in there. Mm. So you need to put some structure in your life. Yeah, you, you don't want to wind up with more than you want, and you don't have to, yeah. but you need some. Yeah. So, you know, eat some breakfast, uh, maybe <laughs> maybe do some exercise a couple of times a week, or sure. go for a walk a couple of times, or catch up on email or the news, uh, do the laundry, uh, feed the pets, uh, you know, put some things that are on your calendar regularly. Mm. Schedule a lunch with friends a couple of times a week so that you get yourself out of the house mm -hmm. and catch up with others. Mm. And do do something to put some structure on your calendar or you won't like the outcome. Sure. Now, after that, when you say there's so much choice and, you know, what happens there? Well, there is a lot of choice. Yeah. And in fact, it can be daunting. Mm. You can find yourself saying, well, there's so much to do how to pick. Sure. Or, yeah. you, or you can say, well, this looks kind of interesting, but I, I, I don't know if I'll be any good at that. Or, uh, mm. gosh, that looks too hard. Yeah. Or, gee, I, I don't know how to really even start on that. Mm -hmm. mm. And those are all the don'ts. That's all the stuff in the don't column. <laughs> and, the, and the stuff in the do column is, you know, comes to us from Nike. Just freaking do it. There mm -hmm. you go. <laughs> it's right. <that> easy. <laughs> and and uh, this is this is that stage of your life where after decades of having to succeed at everything or suffer the suffer the penalty, you don't have to succeed. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. It's my book chapter called Fail Freely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can try stuff and see what happens. Yep. So just pick something, anything, and get started on it. Mm. And, and I feel like, Andy, that's something where we tell our clients that a lot because they go, hey, I actually, um, you know, I do want to go back to work. I do want to go part time and have a job one or two days a week. But what if I'm not any good at it? What if I get in? And, and that's our point is who cares, right? Yeah. Who cares if you don't like it? You're not good at it. Quit. Do something else. So your point about Phil Freely is really important. My, my dad said when he first retired, he goes, well, maybe I get into golf. I've never done it before and I want to get into golf. And I said, well, great. Well, you can get lessons. You, you know, you can just kind of figure out a way to just, here's how I can get into it. I, if I'm not any good, I, I've never played. I'm not going to be any good. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Nobody cares if you're not any good. Most golfers aren't very good. Let's kind of put that out there, right? There's a lot of duffers and not a lot of golfers. Yes. So that, that I think we hear that almost every conversation. And Curtis and I, yeah. we just actually wrapped up with a client meeting. And there was, they're kind of in this probably one to two year out of retirement mode. They're still in the project mode. They're still in that I'm still busy doing all the stuff around our house that we didn't get to do for 40 years. And our house is falling apart. But uh, we can see it coming. We can see that train going to hit them when it's going to be, I did all those projects and mm -hmm. now what? Mm -hmm. and, absolutely. So absolutely. I, so I want to ask you that question because I think that's really important here is the trains come and all of a sudden I've run out of the projects. I'm on the seventh fairway for the 40 millionth time, Yeah. whatever that is. Yeah. How did you work through discovering your list of things that you wanted to try and not try? All right. So I, I lucked into sums and had some in my head. All right. So I did do what you just described, which is my chapter called catch up. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, we had to 
redo our trust documents because they were already, you know, almost 20 years old. And that was an important first things first. I consolidated some financial accounts so that it was less complex. Mm -hmm. And then I caught up on projects around the house. We did several little remodel things now that the house wasn't a kid house. It was a grown-up house. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, catching up. Then after that, I lucked into one. As I said, I was suddenly faced with care and feeding of the family. Mm. And, you know, I can cook, but or I could cook at that time, but, it, you know, the family was not very happy about it. And so I had to work hard on that. And uh, I got my report card after six months at, at dinner one night. Our, uh, our son uh, said, well, this is, this is really good. I was like, hey, don't sound so surprised. (laughs) (laughs) And so I had to become a decent cook, and I found that I really liked it. Mm -hmm. Because in the semiconductor marketing business, it was seven years from, wow, there's something out on the horizon that we need to work towards, to working to define and develop, you know, with engineering products to address that, to getting the stuff into the marketplace to having customers use it in their systems, to finding out if it was a big financial success or not. Mm. And by contrast, I could bike to the grocery store, pick out some stuff that looked good and fresh, bring it home, do the sous chefery, make the meal, serve it, clean up the kitchen. (laughs) And it all happened in a couple of hours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was very gratifying. Sure. It was like, wow, this was great. And so I expended more energy on cooking, and now I'm regarded pretty much as a pretty good cook. So I love love that. Lucked out. That was necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. That's right. Along the way, I was kind of like, well, geez, I'm, I'm doing this good cookery, and, and I like wine. I think I'll get deeper into wine. Sure. And, you know, that eventually caused the building of a, what I call the shack out in back of the house, which is, in fact, an eight by 10 wine cellar. All right. Uh, with its own little air conditioner back there. And, and I, you know, became a wine collector, not to collect and trade and sell, but just to be able to drink nicely aged wines, which I've come to enjoy and appreciate. Hmm. Then I took a page from my youth, as you said, now I had some time, Mm. right? Kids were pretty busy with their life uh, or kids were finally gone and I had some time. So I, I did what you, what you described, which was, well, maybe I'll keep my business brain alive and I'll, and I'll try to find some part-time work. And I got a half-time gig and it was a try-by, and after a few months, uh, I concluded that that was too intrusive on my life. So mm. that went away. Mm. I tried getting a part-time job as a high school teacher and then found out that since it was unionized, I couldn't teach an AP-level class until I started at the lowest lane freshman mm. class. Mm. I sat in one of those and was like, you know, I'd rather have, you know, bamboo under my fingernails. Thank you. So I expended a huge amount of energy on that only to fail miserably. But it was okay. Yeah. But always I had I had thought it would be neat to play piano and I had dabbled at it just by sitting at the piano and fiddling with it. Mm. But I started to take piano lessons. And wow, it was hard. I bet. And everything on me was tight and uh, <laughs> my progress was immeasurably slow. 
Mm. And, uh, and the teacher has, I don't know, something like 60 kids students and about 10 adult students. And then she makes us play a recital for each other five times a year at her house. And the first few years of that, my hands were shaking like leaves. It was terrifying. Mm. And of course, I now see that that was, I've spent a life of competence and now I'm incompetent and I'm having to show off my incompetence for others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was pretty terrifying. Mm. But eventually it became something. And now 17 years later, I'm pretty good at the piano. And it was wow. well worth the time. And now it's my flow activity. Mm-hmm. That's the activity where you sit there for hours and it felt like 10 minutes. Hmm. I like that. I like that. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Especially, again, when we talk about time, right? And sometimes it's this enjoyment of time and how we spend our time and to the point of, hey, there's something I can do for hours and it feels like it just, just with a snap of a finger just went through you. That's the sort of thing that you, I think you, that's when you know you're doing things that fulfill your life. And Curtis and I talk about this with career, right? Is mm-hmm. that you, you know the jobs in your life that are not a good fit for you because you look up at the clock, you get there at whatever time, eight in the morning, you look up, it feels like it should be five and it's like nine fifteen, right? It's, it's like, yep. those are the, those are the, that's how, you know, you're not in the right spot in your life is when, yep. when time. So opposite is very true. So I, I really like that. I want to ask another question though, uh, Andy is obviously you kind of discovered things on your list, trying them, not trying them, uh, things that you enjoyed. What did you find about what others have done when you're researching this book and kind of putting your step-by-step guide in place? How did, how did you kind of see that you compared and contrasted to others? Well, you know, we're all different people, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. everybody's finding their own way. And in fact, the what are others doing sometimes informs people on what they might want to try. Sure. I've got a good friend who's trying this. Maybe they'll invite me along and I'll see what it's like. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they can help help me figure out how to get started on this. Mm. Or or maybe I saw something that seemed cool in a movie or something. But you know, what I what I found, I did interviews of a few dozen people. I found people were doing all, all kinds of stuff. Mm. I found a social connection tapas. I I absolutely loved uh a couple who had another friend, their closest friends, another couple, and they did a mystery weekend every month. Hmm. And so the couple in charge figured out someplace within a three-hour drive of where they all live and figured out a place to stay and booked some hotel rooms or motel rooms or a campsite or whatever it was going to be. And they figured out what the weekend was going to be. And on Saturday morning, they went and picked up the other couple, took them there, enjoyed the weekend, told them anything about what they would need in terms of how to dress, and then enjoyed this weekend together. <laughs> and on, you know, Sunday afternoon, they went home. You know, I've, I've seen, I know one person who decided to build a harpsichord. Hmm. I know some people who took up sailing hmm. until they decided that, wow, a boat is a hole in the water that eats money. <laughs> You know, all manner of things. And uh, I spoke with one fellow who had always wanted to be a pilot. Mm. And he started taking lessons and got, you know, a license and eventually uh, bought a very used small craft with a friend of his. And now they fly it all the time. And so it's unlimited what people do. 
Mm. And I'll say just Andy real quick. What's pretty funny about that is you kind of described almost individual episodes that we've had, whether yeah, it be exactly. getting getting into flying or again, I like again we talk about boats a lot because of course in New England and there's always a lake or an ocean around to to put yep. a boat on and all those things. So I, you're spot on there. I, I absolutely yeah. And of course we shouldn't leave out, or rather I don't want to leave out. But you need to find a meaningful activity. Mm. Because uh, after a while, you may, as I did in my four years of trying to figure it out, and by the way, I wrote the book so people wouldn't have to spend four years trying to figure it out. They'd have a step-by-step process that gets them there quicker. Mm-hmm. But after my four years, I finally had this great life, but it was missing something. I was just a consumer of resources here on the planet. It's like, okay, well, why? Mm. And at that point, what you find is you need to be doing something meaningful. Mm. And meaningful usually means doing something selflessly that benefits others. Mm. And in my case, I discovered coaching. So I do life coaching mostly, occasionally some executive coaching that usually then turns into life coaching. I cap my practice at five clients because it's a top, uh, it's not a career. Mm. I charge below the low end of what anybody else charges because I'm in it to be useful to someone, not to make money. Mm. I'm on the board of a nonprofit which is an which donates about five million dollars a year to mostly hunger and homelessness clauses that are local to the community that I live in. Mm. Uh, so you get to see the good you're actually doing and that feels good. And so you know you, you have to assemble and it can take some time and energy, but there's ways to do it. And in my chapter called Add Tapas and Stir, you know, I talk about that. And I also talk about how you can do an online inventory that'll tell you what's important to you. Mm. And then you can use that as some sort of a sieve or screen or template to help you say, when I'm looking at this potential topic to explore, is that going to give me what I like to get? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Hmm. I like that a lot. Andy, I want to rotate back to something that you teased a few minutes ago, and that's your chapter. uh, Your chapter was called Playing Catch-Up. And that's something we really focused on too, kind of stuck out to us in your book. And, and, you know, you talked about how you worked through it yourself or how you went through it, whether it was home improvement projects, estate planning, financials, things like that. Um, the question I want to ask you is how do you kind of get through the catch up phase and then move on? Like, how do you, how do you know when you're through the catch up phase and move into the fun part of, of living this tapas life? Does that make sense? <laughs> sure. And I don't think they're necessarily sequential. Okay. I do think that my observation about first things first, Mm -hmm. if you don't have a will or a trust document, if you don't have uh, beneficiaries assigned to all your IRA accounts and financial accounts, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff, if you haven't done that, for goodness sakes, (laughs) do it. You know, yeah. if you're the only person in your family who does finances, make sure there's someplace, somebody, maybe it's one of your kids, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's an attorney. Make sure somebody knows what all your accounts are, mm. what all the passwords are, how to figure out how to get it stuff in case you keel over dead or get hit by a bus. Mm. You know, those are first things first. Yeah. After that, the catch up can mingle and intermingle. Hmm. Let's start doing some exercise and looking after your health with doing some travel with starting to put on something you love and adding tapas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it depends on you. 
right? So I know a guy who's a VC, a venture capitalist, and he's a project guy. And he's got a list as long as your arm of projects. Mm. And so he's just, I mean, that is his fun and it's his flow activity. So he's just going to be doing that. But, you know, for others, you know, do some. Right. When you get tired of it, do something else. Come back to it. It's, you know, the hammers of hell are not after you. Mm. <laughs> I like that a lot. I want to kind of keep going here with with ideas and, and, and topics of your book. So we really enjoyed a quote you included in your book. And bear with me while I read it so I don't butcher it. Um, it was, not cohabitation, but consensus constitutes marriage. So... We hear a lot from our clients that sometimes, you know, they're together because they're maybe afraid of being alone or, you know, they're at a point where they're just okay tolerating each other. You know, and you also bring up the the concept of recontracting with your spouse. So really what I want to ask you is kind of what does that mean? And then how have you put that into practice with your spouse? Yes, of course. So you had a relationship with your spouse that was probably single and childless when you got married. Mm. A lot of uh, textbook romance kind of stuff. Sure, yeah. And that doesn't actually constitute marriage. That, you know, that's those those years. Mm. And then after that, you may have been raising a family, which, and having a career, and that gets pretty complicated. And if you both got careers, that gets really complicated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. And then your relationship was probably just trying to keep your nose up above the water level for maybe two to three decades. Mm. Yeah. And eventually, you find yourself first kidless at home, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And then eventually jobless at home, maybe. Mm. And now, as you say, you're sitting there looking at each other. Yeah. And it can be that you're looking at each other cheek by jowl, as they say, <laughs> or it uh, it can be that you decide to reinvent a life together. Right. And it takes conversation mm. and it doesn't happen instantly. You know, I've got some a list of questions that you can explore with your spouse and I've got a list of places where you can find other questions to explore with your spouse. Mm-hmm. And if you're have been lucky enough to learn how to communicate with your spouse over the years, then right. you can have some of those conversations. And if you can't learn to do that, you may want to get a, an advisor or counselor who can help you do that. Sure, yeah. And if you're not willing to do that, then you may be in the category of, well, we're here we're here under the same roof because we're afraid not to be. Right. Or you may be in the category of we've got nothing, so let's get divorced. Yeah. But, and that's something we've talked about on this show is this concept of gray divorce, right? Because that, that's happening more and more is yeah. I think people are looking at their lives and taking inventory, taking stock and saying, well, is this life that we're building together or we continue to build together? Is that something we want to go? So I, that's where I think you know, this whole recontracting with your spouse, probably we should always be doing that, right? As we should always be kind of look into some like, what's important to us together and what what sort of things we want to do. So I I really like that you were doing that. Obviously, it's even more important when there's more time, that time gap is more of you together. But I could see even with the the precious moments sometimes you have together when you have your working careers and kids and all those other things competing with time, that, that that's even more important. So, but I want to ask another question, Andy, is, you know, Curtis and I have this conversation in our team as well, 
about this pandemic has caused us to evaluate ourselves, our choices, how healthy we're being on a daily basis, right? And simply really when we focus on our health, we tend to get more things done, right? We're more energetic. We have a better self-image. So you, you talk about in this book about choosing health. And I know just from the, the people we work with, the, the, our friends and our family, it is not easy when you have chosen to binge on a long career, you know, raise a family, you know, there's a lot of us that are just working so hard to even just make sure there's food on the table at the appropriate time, not necessarily how nutritious it is. Sure. Yep. And we really, have, we've prioritized everything else, maybe our health last. So we talk, you talk about in your book, changing your mindset to choose health. Can you talk about how can you do that? Okay, I'll set that up. So imagine your life going from where you are to death, mm. all right? And now imagine it can be two different lines. One is a straight line across the horizon. Your quality of life stays pretty much the way it is now until you're almost dead and then finally everything gives out and you die in a brief period of time, hopefully. Mm. And maybe even that line goes up above the horizon a little bit because sure. maybe you're in lousy shape and you get in better shape. <laughs> exactly. That's a good thing. Yeah. The other line that you could draw is kind of an exponential decay curve. It starts going down below the horizon gradually and then at an accelerating path until you're dead. Mm. And uh, that's a choice. And here's what that choice is. If you choose health... It's that top line. And if you don't, it's the bottom line, pretty much inevitably. Mm -hmm. And here's the reason to make a choice in favor of health. What you're doing is you are delaying the day when your most loved ones have to become your caregiver. Yeah. Well, that's pretty blunt. I know. Pretty hard to hear. But you can choose to, in essence, delay or accelerate the day that your most dearest loved ones become your caregiver mm -hmm. or when you leave those around you as a dead person. Yeah. It's a choice. Yeah. It, it's not hard. Yes, you need to do a little exercise, but you don't have to become an Olympian. <laughs> you have to walk a little bit most days or, you know, if you start, you'll find you've got energy to do more. Yeah. Do a sport if you like to, or maybe do some exercise a couple of times a week. And as far as eating, you know, don't be eating fast foods. Don't be eating huge meals before bedtime. Yeah. Don't be eating all bad carbs <laughs> and giving yourself diabetes. <laughs> yeah, uh, It's pretty straightforward. It's, it's not a complicated thing. I find that since we've now been doing that for about 20 years, which my wife got us started on, thankfully, mm -hmm. I actually prefer to eat at home my my healthy cooking than to go to a restaurant. Sure. Yeah. And when we do go to a restaurant, we often have an appetizer and then split an entree or split an appetizer and split an entree. Mm -hmm. Or we each order individually and eat half of it and take the rest home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Don't eat entire restaurant meals. It's crazy how much they serve you. <laughs> so it's not, it's not a complicated thing to get to health. I agree, Andy. Is, yeah, I think from, from that side, it's, it's not complicated, but it is a mindset to choose it, right? It feels like you have to, because yeah. it's, it, when you're being very passive about our choices in life, it's easy to like, okay, well, the, the thing that's in front of me right now, this very moment is 
that fast food restaurant and that burger. And it's like, okay, just do it and go and move on to the next thing. So there's sometimes it's hard because I think sometimes to be healthy, as you're saying, look, there's effort there is like, to yeah. prepare my own meal. You know, I have to, you know, thoughtfully think about my groceries before. So then when I'm ready to do that, I now have to prep it and cook it. And it takes a little bit of time more than what maybe to go through the drive through lane, but it, it's something where doing this and saying, I'm going to choose this. And, and it's almost a choosing meal by meal mentality is, is what I've found personally is the more I do it, the more that habit grows, the easier it gets. It just feels like sometimes it's, if you're not doing it that way, it's really more difficult. Or you don't, you don't have to make that meal, mm-hmm. you know, just order something healthier at the restaurant sure. mm-hmm. or yeah. go to Safeway. Everybody's got a supermarket near them. Yeah. They've got big salads with a chicken breast in there that are healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. You don't have to drain the entire, you know, one pint package of salad dressing that comes with it. Right. You can sprinkle a little on there and you don't have to eat the whole fistful of cheese that comes in a package with it. It's not hard. And mm. now, do I ever go to In-N-Out Burger? Sure I do. <laughs> but, you know, I do it once every couple of months, sure. not, not five times a week. Exactly. Exactly. No, I like that. I like that a lot. So I, I have kind of a, a wrap-up question for this episode, Andy. So normally, this is the part where I ask a sort of a retirement success question, but I feel like this whole conversation has been a step-by-step guide to a successful retirement. So I'm not going to go there. But I do want to kind of rotate and ask you, how do you think retirement is going to evolve over time or continue to evolve? Well, the, the main thing is, is that people have to come to the realization that at 62, when they can collect Social Security or 65 or whenever they choose to, quote, retire, mm. as one podcaster I spoke with said, well, you know, retire comes from the Latin, which means take out of service. Right. That's depressing. So that's, <laughs> I don't like to think of myself as being taken out of service. Right. <laughs> and so we actually have to think of it differently. You have to come to grips with the fact that you're going to be around likely for another 25 or 30 years. Exactly. And so instead of I'm thinking of retiring, I'm now assembling this gift of additional decades of life that's only made possible by current understanding of health and, and uh, healthcare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you got to come to grips with that. Yeah. And, and there's not much in popular culture that helps you with that. Every ad you see for old people is either about some medication that you should ask your doctor about, <laughs> which I strongly believe should be outlawed as it is in Europe. <laughs> Your doctor should tell you what they what you need. You should not be telling your doctor what medication you want. True. Uh, and the other ads that you see for old people are buying a cruise ticket or taking some sunny vacation and drinking your uh, Dos Equis. That's right. And that is not what these decades are actually going to consist of. Mm-hmm. They may have more of that than during one's long career, mm-hmm. but you actually need to assemble and find a life. Yeah. And that's uh, the reason I wrote my book, hmm. Help Others Get There. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, Andy, I think it did a did a really great service um, in that book, and I, I really we really can't thank you enough for for coming on our show, sharing a little bit about the the book here. Uh, again, there's probably we could go on for probably another three more hours with you about uh, <laughs> analyzing more of it. But I guess what we'll do is leave our listeners wanting a little bit more so they can check out your book. Um, right. And again, going to Amazon to to, to do that. So I want to thank you so much for coming on really appreciate it and perhaps in the future we can maybe check in and see how see how pr- things are progressing in the next stage of retirement for you that would uh, that would be great ben and curtis and fyi listeners uh, you can also go to tapaslife.com where you mm-hmm. can just learn more about the book and see what others have said about it and so on perfect awesome we will include that in the show notes yep. andy thank you so much we will talk to you soon take care thank you yeah bye-bye so living a tapas life after retirement, right? So that was the that was the topic of today, talking to Andy Robin, again, looking at uh, reviewing his book. We were able to get an advanced reading of it, which was pretty cool. Mm. Tapas Life, A Rich and Rewarding Life After Your Long Career. So we'll, again, as you said in the episode, we will give a few links on our show notes. So if anybody wants to check it out, um, you can absolutely do that and go to tapaslife.com as well. But I want to just kind of, again, wrap up the show by just kind of taking that yellow highlighter to a few things <laughs> that uh, that we learned from today. So, Curtis, maybe you want to just kind of bat lead off on something that you took away from our conversation with Andy. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I thought it was really cool. It was in the, the segment of the conversation about the catch-up phase um, or the catch-up chapter, if you will, and how... You know, Andy did a good job kind of explaining first off kind of what that was, but then he, uh, the piece that stuck out to me was how he, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, sequential from, you know, you retire, you hit the catch up part of your life. You, he, what do you call it? First things first, right? You're doing Mm -hmm. your states, Mm -hmm. your beneficiaries, all that, right? You get it in order, but you know, that catch up chapter can kind of commingle with the fun chapter. And that was, that, that really stuck out to me because I think I was picturing it as, okay, I retire, I take the first year, two years, however long it is, I do all this stuff, you know, the housekeeping stuff, if you will, and then I move on. But that's really not how it works. And, you know, it, it, it retirement evolves and your life evolves. And, you know, you may be kind of tying up some of that catch up stuff as you're as you're living the fun tapas life, uh, you know, segment of your retirement as well. So I thought that was really cool that he, he kind of pointed that out. Yeah. And, and I'll add too, right, in terms of when typically when we are getting uh, some clients that are coming on board, it's, it's usually they're in prepping retirement, exactly. right? And this whole kind of catch up phase is some is, is where we get more active because they're saying, I don't know where to go. And we're asking the questions on estate planning. Mm-hmm. As you, as you guys know, we've of course had a few estate planners on with shows like that, that catch up phase, you know, that I think it's this get organized phase is yeah. how we call it. Yeah. And, and it's kind of getting all those things aligned up. And, and again, as, as you said, Curtis is we're then making sure it's staying current and active, right? Because things change in our lives and maybe yeah. what we did at 60 or 65 might not be what we wanted 85. Sure. So just as we evolve and as we change is keeping those things up to date. So I think you're right on there is I think that's something where that, it becomes maybe it's it's a larger priority or higher priority. Mm-hmm. It might fall down the scale, come back up. But that was that was a key thing I think uh, that Andy was kind of capturing there. I'll also kind of say from the Tapas Life 
life part about figuring out like what to do. And I could be a pilot. I could be this. And again, we've kind of done that from our show is, Hey, here's ways that you can try things. And here's ways that you can kind of get involved with volunteering or things that provide purpose and meaning, uh, but also just allow you to grow and create. And, you know, and he used the the term assembling, right? And I think that that's an interesting way to think about, of course, very engineering, right? Mm. He's going to assemble it. So I kind of, I think that was an interesting way to think about assembling your time and assembling the retirement. As we said, 175,200 hours, 10,512,000 minutes, lots of things you could do with that time Mm -hmm. and being able to kind of structure and organize it. And I know, Curtis, you asked a question about organizing. And if you, so when you do look through the book that he has some really good worksheets for you to figure out what how you can structure the things you like, mm. but also the things you don't like. Sure. And also I'd say he, he didn't kind of mention it in our, in our show today, but he does in the book is when we talk about kind of making that next uh, recontract with your spouse yeah. is going through this together. And maybe you're refinding interests of, I never knew that you always wanted to do that. I would love to be a part of that with you. I, I yeah. think that would be a fun thing to explore together. More ways that you can connect, connect and reconnect with your spouse by doing these exercises. I think that would be a valuable takeaway too, if, if anyone's inclined to check that out. Yeah. So again, we will give you a little bit more um, on our uh, on our blog page. You can check it out at blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash 51 for episode 51. And you can find some more links uh, there for the to purchase the book if you're interested or to go to the website and you can kind of check out a little bit more there, read a little bit more about Andy, but really uh, kind of excited to kind of hear a little bit more of the first person piece today. Yeah, and That's not something we get a whole lot. And Andy did a really great job being succinct and really kind of uh, showing through a lot of the meaning and the things that he's learned thus far in retirement. So yeah. really cool to kind of get that uh, perspective from Andy today. We really appreciate you tuning in. And if you, again, if you're liking the show so far, love to hear a comment, whether it be, you know, on uh, just an email, you can drop to either Curtis or I or Abby, or, you know, just leave a, leave a comment or, you know, anywhere on our, our web presence or on the Apple iTunes or Apple podcasts, uh, things like that. Happy to hear how you guys are thinking this is going. And um, we have some really great shows coming up. We're excited to do more. We will catch you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.